0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 14th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Part of a financial reform offered up by Bernie Sanders and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez includes so-called postal banking. What is it? What would it include? Why does Cato's Todd Zawicki think it's a terrible idea? We spoke this week. The notion is that low-income people are relatively poorly served by institutions that exist now. And they think that uh, having the post office run some sort of—I don't—I don't know if it's more than rudimentary banking services, uh, but they want the postal service to be involved in providing banking services. So, what do you suspect that actually would look like?
1: Okay, let's—the well, uh, whole proposal is pretty sketchy at this point. Um, and a, a few weeks ago, you may have seen uh, Bernie Sanders in uh, uh, Alexandria. Ocasio-Cortez, we'll just call her AOC, how's that sound? Sure. Um, uh, Put forth a proposal that would basically create a 15% cap on all interest rates on consumer loans throughout the country. And they basically admitted or boasted that one of the reasons was to get rid of payday lenders and other uh, non-traditional lenders and that sort of thing. And then they basically said, and to replace them now that we've taken that away we're going to have the post office do some sort of banking. Uh, they they provided no details in their legislation. The legislation itself is only six pages long. but they don't say what that would look like. And the only person who has said what that would look like is Kirsten Gillibrand, who provided um a uh, uh, four page or six page legislation on that uh, as well. And so the contours of it are not clear. Uh, But what they say they're going to do is that somehow or another, the post office would take deposits. Uh, Post office would, uh, you know, cash checks, issue money orders. Um, And Gillibrand's proposal says that the post office would make small dollar loans of under $500 to people, and then that would replace payday uh, loans. Um, It's a bit of pie-in-the-sky proposals we could talk about in the uh, in the details. But that's the outlines of what they're saying, which is basically wipe out payday loans, wipe out any credit cards that have interest rates over 15% and replace it with postal banking um, and extend post offices into banking services for low-income uh, families.
0: Uh, so uh, to what extent – so I guess maybe I I maybe should be more concerned about it, but to the extent that the uh, post office is taking deposits and uh, cashing checks and that sort of thing, I realize that those are, you know, really important functions for a financial institution. I guess I'm not that concerned uh, about, about that, but you haven't said that they would be issuing credit.
1: Uh, well, that that's the big that's the big part of it, right? The big fighting point is really over this idea that somehow or another the post office is going to get in the small dollar lending business, uh, and that they're somehow or another could compete with payday lenders. Uh, Senator Gillibrand's proposal is. Quite frankly, ridiculous. Uh, she says that the uh, that they'll basically make loans at the rate of of a one month Treasury bill, which is about two point four zero percent right now, and so they'd have no uh, adjustment for operating costs or risks or anything like that. So her particular proposal, I think, is pretty farcical. But the idea of the post that somehow or another the post office would get into the uh, business of providing credit is the one that has everybody all a uh, uh, in a tizzy. And a twi- uh, you know, all fired up with respect to, uh, to the Democratic Party and a lot of progressives. Um, and leaving aside the, the details and how unworkable it is at this point, that's really w- what they're aiming at, it looks like.
0: All right. So uh, I guess my the, the first related question to that is, how does the Postal Service get the kinds of credit that it would need in order to issue credit to uh, potential lenders?
1: Well, I, I think I mean it's so. So there's two proposed. There seems to be again. It's all very vague, but there seems to be two ideas out there. One is not that big of a deal. It basically be. That the uh, the post office would essentially just become a place in which private provider of uh, financial services would get preferred access to people who come into the post office, right? So you'd outsource check cashing or small-dollar loans or credit cards or whatever to some financial institution. That's not what most – that may be the only realistic proposal. It's pretty incremental. It's not that big of a deal. The one that has people excited is the idea that the post office would run a full-blown bank. And so I think the idea would be that they would take deposits um, and they would make loans uh, and that somehow or another would become self-funding and, and somewhat comically, um, a lot of people have promoted this as a uh, as a way in which the uh, post office is going to overcome its billions of dollars of red ink uh, that currently generates right now, but that if they started making, you know, their equivalent of payday loans, all of a sudden there'd just be this gusher of money, uh, that would, uh, that would come in that would stabilize the post office books. Uh, but it seems to be the idea is it would be self funding in some sort of way.
0: Because banking is so easy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Banking is so easy and everybody makes a profit as we learned 10 years ago. <laughs> so, uh,
0: to the extent that, that this, the proposal is offering merely, um, uh, access to people who want to provide banking services to low-income people, uh, it would be an extension of branches,
1: right? Essentially, uh, yeah. And, and and the irony about this uh, is really that this idea of post office banking, it's really a government-created solution to a government-created problem, right? Uh, what we saw over the past 10 years, really, after the financial crisis, was an incredible onslaught of uh, financial regulation and legislation that uh, basically drove low end consumers out of the the banking system. We had the uh, the Credit Card Act. Uh, which uh, um, uh, was passed in 2009 and it adjusted the way – or interferes with the ability of um, um, credit card issuers to be able to issue credit cards to low-income uh, consumers and higher-risk borrowers. Uh, Jamie Dimon, for example, said that 15 percent of um, J.P. Morgan Chase's customers, could, they could not – no longer serve after those regulations uh, came into effect. And then we saw on the back of that the Durbin Amendment – Uh, to Dodd-Frank, which placed uh, price controls on interchange fees on debit cards— um, and debit card interchange fees had basically funded uh, bank accounts for consumers. And so uh, once the debit cards became widespread, free banking in this country, free checking went from under 10% of accounts to about 76%. And after the Durban Amendment got cut in half, um, after the uh, basically as banks had to raise bank fees in order to make up for the revenue losses, the billions of dollars they lost from the price controls on uh, debit card interchange fees. Uh, and once they, and and then uh, bank accounts without free checking, the fees basically doubled, uh, and so what you had were people losing free checking, spending hundreds of dollars a year just to have a checking account, uh, and a lot of people just dropped out of the banking system uh, as a result of that. And so, um, and so, and so now what you've done is basically created this class of people uh, for whom. Uh, there's no incentive for banks and the private sector to uh, to serve them because of uh, government regulations, or they've made it impossible to serve them by by regulation and the like. And now they're basically saying, rather than allowing these people to to, uh, um, to to flourish, so rather than allowing these people to share in you know the, the widespread benefits of bank uh, banking innovation and modernization, um, you know you could think of it as FedEx banking and the competitive process. What we're going to do is we want to herd these people into a uh, regulated public utility experience at the post office um and i just think that over the long run that's just not where that's just not the way to lift people up and give people uh control over their own lives uh you know i think it would be better to to re- look at the regulations peel those back and um, provide incentives to treat low-income people as valuable customers uh, rather than see- treating them as second-class citizens who aren't entitled to, uh, to make their own choices um, uh, in, a, in, you know, in the competitive market just because they don't have a lot of money.
0: Who are the firms that, uh, that, that want to get into this space that are having a hard time?
1: Well, I think the most interesting one is um, about uh, 10 years ago, right before the financial crisis, Walmart actually filed a petition uh, to try to become a bank Um, and they ran into a buzzsaw of opposition from basically uh, um, incumbent banks. Uh, who, you know, obviously were worried about Walmart coming in and uh, competing with them, Uh, but also, you know, the usual group of uh, anti-Walmart activists and consumer activists and that sort of thing, right? So Walmart has entered the market on a a much lower level since they couldn't become a bank. They can't issue loans, for example, but they issue money orders, they cash checks and that sort of thing. And one of the the great ironies of all of this is is that if uh, if you find a Walmart money center, their posted price for a – to cash a check at uh, Walmart Money Center is 88 cents. If you tried to cash a check at the post office where you can do it now, you can cash certain checks. It costs a dollar and a quarter. So almost 50% more to uh, get the same service at the post office uh, than it does uh, at Walmart. And I think whether it's Walmart or Amazon or you can imagine any number of companies who could provide direct financial services to customers – that today they basically have to serve only through partnering with um, some established bank um, uh, and and the like.
0: Uh, To what extent is, uh, would Walmart be effectively competing with payday lenders, check cashing places where that is the business versus actually competing with standard issue banks?
1: Well, I suspect it would do both just like Walmart traditionally does, uh, right? Which is first, as I just said, you know, uh, sort of a lot of the bread and butter of uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of check cashing places that do payday loans and check cashing and the like. And as I said, you know, Walmart is already doing that. And they're they're able to cash checks without being a bank, and they're doing it for eighty eight cents, right? So they are already providing a lot of competition along that margin. And I and 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 who knows, right? Who knows where the market might develop? What mall What Walmart might do, but uh, but it's not it hard. It's not hard at all. To imagine, you know, Walmart's c- customers are lower, you know, lower middle class, middle class working families, um, and that's where payday lenders operate, right? And so, um, it's not at all difficult to imagine that Walmart might try to do that, and they might do it very well, and they might drive down prices and increase quality uh, for customers in the, in those uh, those markets. We, you know, we don't really know what the outcome of competition looks like. But we have seen just, if you take Walmart as, a, as an example, we you've already seen they're shaking up that market with respect to those customers uh, who, you know, sort of working class uh, families. And it's easy to imagine if they had more authority that they could do even more after that.
0: Todd Zawicki is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.